This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hey, Hello there. Okay, that, you cut out there for a second, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Hello <laughs> there. <laughs> hey, well, uh, as, as I like to do whenever I'm uh, in transit recording these things, uh, mm-hmm. we will test out the... Telstra Network doing this podcast today as I'm on the road between two towns. All right, mate. All right. Well, hopefully we keep it all together and uh, you get a nice, clean recording. Yeah, that's it. You can only hope. (laughs) Mate, uh, our special guest uh, today on the Territory Podcast, um, sorry, the Territory Story Podcast, is a lady by the name of Rose Felice. Rose, welcome to the podcast. Ah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm just trying to think how did we um, how did how did we connect in relation to the podcast? Did I say to you, did I ask you to come on it or I was trying Yeah, to you did. Yeah, you reached out um, to me through LinkedIn actually. Right, through LinkedIn. And um, yeah, and asked me to see if I was interested through right, there. Right. Yeah. Well, Rose, meet yeah. Pete. Hi, Pete. How are you? Hello, Rose. Welcome. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. Right. That's so, good. Rose, we first met when you came here to the Territory to take up the Malaysian Airlines yes. position, correct? Yes, that's right. So I want to talk about that and, sure. of course, everything else that sort of flowed from that. But sure. I'd like to take you right back to the beginning. Where were you born? Ha. <laughs> I was born in Adelaide, so okay. probably like half of the territory. <laughs> right. I was born in Adelaide um, in 1976 right. uh, at Mudbury Hospital. Yeah. Okay. Woodbury. Yeah. Mudbury. Mudbury, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's for all the Adelaide people out there. They'll know it. They'll know it, right. <laughs> it was a big baby hospital in the 70s and 80s. Right. And so you, your parents were uh, also from Adelaide, right? Uh, they they originally actually are both from New South Wales, right. um, but um, uh, settled in Adelaide actually 12 months before I was born. Right. They actually settled in Adelaide, but originally from New South Wales. And so what took them to Adelaide? Um, my father has worked for the federal government um, for many years, um, just in administration. I forgot what, I, I don't know exactly. It sounds like ASIO to me. Sorry? Sounds like ASIO to me whenever someone says administration. <laughs> well, he, he did actually have a very um, interesting work life, actually. He ended up um, uh, working in PNG for quite a few years, and I've got four older brothers, that actually, uh, three of them which were actually born in Papua New Guinea. And then when, um, in about 1974, um, they moved down to Tasmania, my father worked for um, the Henry Jones down oh, yeah. in um, Tasmania. Yeah, mm-hmm. IXL. Um, had left the government by then um, and then moved to South Australia. Um, and I was born in South Australia. And that was actually then to take on a local government job in Ooh. South Australia. Right. So you had four elder brothers and then yes. you. Yes, and then me. Growing up must have been interesting. It was interesting. I would actually say it was actually pretty good. Yeah. I, had a, I had a really good um, upbringing. I'm certainly one of the lucky ones out there with um, really loving parents and um, brothers that were very, very protective. Had one which was a little bit of a troublemaker and did give me a little bit of grief. But um, What number was he? He was a number <laughs> four boy. So I think being the youngest boy yeah. between the boy, older boys and the girls, always wanted to be with the oldest boys, but right. always got stuck with the, <laughs> his little sister. Right. 
So yes, so but other ultimately, yeah, have 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 got some got a really great um, stories and memories around my childhood. Right, right. And so you grew up in Adelaide? Yes, okay. I did. Yeah. Did... Well, mainly in Adelaide. Mm. Um, again, my parents are actually very nomadic. Mm. Um, in we remained in Adelaide until I was about four or five. Then my uh, father went to Bury and Loxton for work, so we were there for about um, four years, and then we came back to Adelaide. And then predominantly in Adelaide after that. Right. So you went mm. to high school there as well. Uh, high school, yeah. So most of my uh, my later years of primary school, so middle school here, and then high school was all in Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Uh, middle school where here? No, no. Well, it's called middle. I think yeah. well in South Australia we just have primary yeah. or high, yeah. but here I think year six and seven yes, is called middle school. Yeah. 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 And then so you finished high school. Then what did you do? Yes. Um. And then I was actually. Th- thrust out into the big bad world and mm. had to find a job right. and um and start living my life as an adult and you know mm. um had to um grow pretty quickly my parents as you probably have already worked out are pretty nomadic and traveled around a lot so by the time I was actually old enough to fly the coop at about 17 they were like see you later <laughs> on your own where I'll travel again mm. <laughs> Um, so yes, yeah, so I entered the work um, work world or the world of work very early on around 17, 18, and I moved out of home at that time, and um, and then have slowly well have pretty much been in the workforce ever since. So unfortunately, I never got to go to university. Always wished that I did, but that was really of no fault of my parents because you know they wanted to go off travelling. That was really from a personal choice at the time. Mm. But of course, when you look at back and reflect, you you know, I always wish that I'd probably been a bit more academic and right. and and dedicated my life to a bit of study as a late teenager. So what was your first job? My first job was actually working in a shoe store. Right. Actually, my very first job was working in a bakery and then I worked in the supermarket as a checkout chick mm. and then a shoe store, so very much um, retail. Uh, and then one thing that my father did encourage me to do, even though I left um, school and didn't have a university career he did encourage me to still do some sort of study which was really good so I went to TAFE and did some administration or commercial studies as it's called um, back then and that did help me um, find a few little office jobs with my dad's friends um, and um, and and I guess probably um, I was able to learn a lot of on the job skills through his networks which was really good right mm. and so when did you leave Adelaide? Um, actually, I left Adelaide in early 2011. Right. So my husband and I are both from Adelaide. He's born and bred uh, northern suburbs Adelaide as well. And he had, uh, well, we had both at that time had a few healthy, well, he had had some health issues, but also we had a number of family members and some very close friends that got some um uh, health scares and um, serious diagnosis and we went well if life is as good as this we're going to go off and travel right. so in 2011 we went off um, and traveled and spent um, three years traveling Europe wow yes and then we so, came here to the territory and so traveling Europe I mean how did you plan that like what, what was how did you do that well the plan was um, my parents in about 2010, they had been living in Queensland for a while. They'd done the grand nomadic thing, had finished um, or had, you know, got stuck in, um, actually got stuck in the territory for a while, as, <laughs> yeah, as everybody do, yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and then they got stuck again uh, at Noosa and ended up being in Noosa for around about 10 years. They, um, we went and saw them for one of their wedding anniversaries and we were just about to build our dream house in Adelaide. We'd worked really hard, saved really hard. My husband had um, pretty much been doing a FIFO role to and from China for many, many years. He's, well, what, um, he, what does he do? He's an industrial technician. So, okay. yeah, so he's um electrical technician. And he had um, been travelling a lot overseas. And then we thought, right, great, you know, we consolidated all our funds. We saved really hard to build our dream home. We thought, great, perfect timing. We'll go and visit my parents. And we had a big family shindig up there for one of their wedding anniversaries. And we then decided, well, we, because it was a whole bunch of us, we decided to rent a house. We rented this really great house, which was right on the water in Noosa, and it happened to be up for sale. We looked for the price of that <laughs> house, <laughs> and we went, my goodness, this is going to be the same. We could buy this house outright and live on the water in Noosa for the same amount of money we're just about to invest in our dream house in Adelaide. Right. And we were literally signing on the dotted line. We had the land. We'd knocked down the old farmhouse on it. We were ready to rock and roll, and we were really upset with our builder that he hadn't given us the quote yet. We got back on that plane to Adelaide and said, don't worry about the quote, we're not going ahead with that. So what had actually happened is that we decided that why do we want to live in Adelaide? Just because we've lived there for all of our life, we could live in Noosa. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then after that came, well, what are we going to do for work? And um, my husband was close to retirement, so um, that wasn't really a problem, but I wanted to keep working and the work situation Noosa wasn't quite so good. At the time, I was working for Malaysia Airlines and it was really hard to work for an airline and not be in the city. So we went, okay, why don't we give ourselves time to think about it? Why don't we go travelling? Because right, right. <laughs> if we're going to chuck in our job and we're going to try a new lifestyle, why don't we go off travelling for a couple of months? Right. So just back here, you, you, you said your, your husband was close to retirement. Yes. So there's quite a large age gap between um, the two of you then? There's nearly nine years between okay. the two of us. Um, but he had worked so hard through um, over the, you know, the 12 years that we had been together by that time and we just decided that it was about time that he stopped doing the fly foam and living yeah. it virtually living six months a year away and yeah. always at a really irregular schedule yeah. he had had um also a few health issues we went okay let's you know let's just keep it to one of us working we don't have children yeah. i think we can afford it so yeah so we thought well, okay he's we're going right. to re we're going to retire him. Right, <laughs> right. Put him Let him enjoy the green. So it's not like he was on. actually a grey nomad or anything like that. No, he's, he's no, no. Just decided he had enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Sure. He wasn't grey before he retired. He is grey now. So I'm hoping that's not just because he's spending more time with me. <laughs> right, and so you thought three years away. Yeah. So and, well, actually, we thought a few months away. A few months, right. Then when we were over there, we were having too much fun. Where did you go? Well, we started off in England and the yeah. idea was to um, buy a motorhome and, or a camper of some sort and travel around um, Europe. And we decided um, that um, that was just going to be something for a couple of months. Got over there. Got over there and loved the experience, really. Um, and actually totally changed the way we were travelling. Previously, whenever we had been on any holidays, we'd do the tourist things and you're out doing everything, you're spending lots of time and every day out and about. And, you know, I guess you're moving a lot more, so it's more expensive as well. So we really slowed down our travel style. And at the time, we were so lucky because the Aussie dollar was yes. $1.10 US. Yes. It was like yes. 90 cents, 95 yeah. cents euro, yeah. and about 80 cents, 80 <laughs> to the dollar, yeah. like 80 
Mm. So we just had these amazing exchange rates and our money went really far. Yeah. So we decided, well, let's try and keep this up for as long as we can. Right. And what did you do with the land back in Adelaide? Well, we eventually actually subdivided it and um, sold both blocks off. <laughs> yeah, right. so there goes. Yeah. And we still haven't made it to Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you started in the UK and yes. then where did you end up? Uh, and then, um, so we toured around the UK. We lived in actually Wimbledon for three months. So right. And the Wimbledon tennis was on during that time, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then we travelled around the UK for three months and then we hit the road and basically headed to France, Spain, Morocco, um, and then back but, through Spain. What, in, in a camper van? In a camper van, All yeah. All the way to Morocco? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that, T? <laughs> Man, you'd see some scenery along the way, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do you yeah, get to great. Morocco? You have to get on a ferry or something, Yes, right? you do, yeah. So there's a couple of places in Spain where you get on a ferry. You go to, it's really funny, you go into this travel agent. Well, it's actually not really a travel agent. He's like some little book ticketing booth <laughs> down in down. Um, I think it's I can't remember the name of the town now. Now, anyone that's ever done it was going to go, Rose, how can you not remember this? Mm. But it's a little town, really, really southern Spain. And it's literally, you know, five miles over the water to Morocco. It's uh, quite okay. close. Yeah. So you go to this little booth and this guy's got these tickets, which are for all random dates with all <laughs> random names on it. And he's like, what date do you want to go and what name looks familiar to yours? So you kind of go there and you're like, okay, well, that date was that price and that date was that price. And yeah, that's an Anglo sounding name. You can get it. You can use his ticket. So you grab your ticket what and you what, jump on and go. What, what is he, a scalper or something? Well, I don't think he's a scalper. I think what he does is He's a people is like, smuggler. <laughs> I hope not, I hope not. We did get searched on the way back in Spain, though, so that's not a story. But he actually, you went in the boot, um, I assume. <laughs> he um, he uh, buys tickets in advance. So with an, so basically uh, they're the old advance purchase tickets, yeah. which means, you know, they're €10 Euro instead of €100 Euro if you buy a ticket and want to yeah. go tomorrow. So we did that. It's all very legitimate. You know, yeah. you can Google this guy. He, mm. he comes up and everyone's like, yeah, no problem. He's fine. And the authorities have no issues with him. So, but of course, when you're filling your paperwork to actually board, yeah. you, you know, you're filling in your real details. It's literally just the ticket. Right, yeah, right. So it's pretty interesting. So I've got to ask you a question about the camper van. You, yes. Did you buy that in the UK? We did, yes. So then yeah. it would have been right-hand drive. Uh, yes, it was. So how the heck does it work going <laughs> across the continent? It takes probably about half, well, it probably takes about an hour. Took me, took my husband about an hour to feel, feel really comfortable driving the motorhome. Uh, took me probably a few days to be comfortable. Because you're but in then the after right that, hand. it's just really? natural. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're, you're driving a right hand drive, which, which yeah. is familiar. Yeah. But you're on the left hand side of the road. You're on the right hand side of the yes, road. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, coming up to corners and roundabouts can be really oh, interesting. Oh, <laughs> Or you're if you're on a motorway and you know you're the person that's actually got the oncoming traffic. Gosh. It's an unusual thing. Did feeling. you have any sort of scares? No, but we got so used to driving mm. over on the right hand side of the road in a right hand drive vehicle that one time when we did go back to England, because you have to keep going back every 12 months for your roadworthy oh, check right, and right. things like that. Every time that you do go back, um, you sort of have to adjust. Yes. Well, the last time that we went back, we had been in, we'd just been so used to it. I was driving on the right-hand side of the road to oncoming traffic in London. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's my greatest fear. So I'm driving. I know. You see that a fair bit on Tiger Brennan Drive during the dry season as well. 
Oh, I'm sure the person in the other car must have thought I was absolutely on something because we ended up just going down this road and I was just in a crook. Like I ended up just slowing down and the car in front of me was slowing down as well. And we eventually sort of rolled towards each other, bumper to bumper, and the guy looked at me. I looked at the guy. He's probably thinking, what are you doing? I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're on the wrong side of the road. Or I've looked at it going, I think I've come down a one-way road or something like that. And then I realised I was on the wrong side of the road <laughs> and quickly had to get oh, over. But he was all fine. I, I, I'm hoping that because we were in a motorhome, he knew that we just came yeah. off the boat, so to speak, at Dover. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that was probably the only time. I mean, it was very low speed, which was really good, but it was the only time where my brain was mm. still stuck on the other side of the road. Right, right. Yeah. So you travel. All around yes. Europe, you went yes. down to Morocco. Yes. Did you drive all across Morocco? Pretty much. Really? Because yeah. that's, that's yeah. quite a large country, isn't it? Well, actually, all across is probably an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. We probably went down the coast to as far as Essaouira. Now, I haven't thought about the names for such a long time. I've almost forgotten. And then across the Atlas Mountains, so the Anti Atlas and the Atlas Mountains, which is really interesting. So through to Marrakesh and. Amazing. We actually missed Fez, unfortunately, and then sort of cut across over to Chef Chef One and then up through then Casablanca. Yes, went to Casablanca. (laughs) So amazing country. I cannot tell you how friendly those people are. Like it was just such such a fantastic experience. The amount of we had we only time we ever had anything go wrong with our motorhome was in Morocco and the help was just um, unbelievable. Couldn't wow. yeah. And just so happy to actually have you as a tourist in their town. And this was the first time you'd actually left Australia, is that right? No, or no you'd yeah, there? I'm a, yeah, we'd actually travelled a fair bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course because your husband was working in China. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And having nomadic parents who were always yeah. encouraging you to travel as well. Right. Um yeah, I've I've have been quite flighty for quite but for most of my adult life. Right. And yeah. so did you do the whole of Europe? No, we didn't. It's such it's there's so much to see. Mm. No, we didn't. I feel like we've scraped the surface. But you were there for three years. But we were there for three years. I know we never but we never made it to Croatia and Serbia and Montenegro and um, you know, through some of the Eastern European countries. So yeah. We did get really stuck in Greece and (laughs) fell in love with Greece and didn't wanna didn't wanna leave. Right. And then in the so we would virtually follow the sun in the summer, and then in the winter we would head to the Alps and go skiing. Right. Yeah. So, and how's your skiing? Uh, my skiing's good actually. Yeah. 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 I've been skiing as a kid, which is um, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I've I, I'm lucky there because I would not want to learn. I'm not particularly skilled when it comes to the art of coordination. So <laughs> I'm really glad as a kid I learned to ski. My husband learned to ski as an adult, and he's fantastic. Mm. Uh, he's probably going to hear this podcast at one at some stage, mm. and um, he, I always say to him, "I'm a better skier than him," but he is probably <laughs> a bit better than me. <laughs> so that'll make him happy. Right. But um, yeah, so, uh, so I love do, it. You, you can do the black runs and all. Yes. Yeah. yeah we wow. can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so three years there, yes. and and then and then what happened? Where were you? Well, um, we were talking about Malaysia Airlines yeah. before, and I didn't want to leave my job. I had a great job with Malaysia Airlines, had a great career with them, started, you know, in their ticketing, and I worked my worked my way through the office into the commercial team. And um, we had this change of heart, didn't want to be in Adelaide anymore, didn't want to leave my job, but there was no way I was going to be able to work for Malaysia Airlines um, off, you mm. know, the beach in Noosa. <laughs> I don't know why. Mm. So we went overseas and um 
I had always had an open invitation from Malaysia Airlines to come back. Yeah. They'd actually, uh, my old boss and, and the HR and the regional manager had contacted me a few times to say, there's a few jobs coming up, are you interested? And it was no, 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 unless there was something really in Brisbane or, you know, <laughs> I could work from home. Um, I wasn't really interested. And then they did one final, um, I guess, uh, um, outreach to me and uh, asked me to see if I would consider coming to Darwin for six months mm. to open up um, operations here. So Malaysia Airlines had been in Darwin for quite a number of years, yeah. as you know. Um, and then in 2013, late 2013, they wanted to start services again. So they'd been out of this market for about 10 years. Yes. And um, they were struggling, I guess, to find someone that was probably going to fit the bill, work within, that knew that the company well and would be able to just slot in there and roll their sleeves up. So they um, reached they reached out to me and we had a discussion about that, which was a no, no, no at first. And then after a bit of um, negotiation and uh, discussion, we came to an agreement that I was here for six months. And that's how I came to Darwin. So where were you in Europe when you... So um, we were actually at a place called Villa Real Santa Antonio, which is right on the border between Portugal and Spain. Okay. You, you cannot get in. We literally, there was a river yeah. um, that divides the two countries, and we were we were camping in our motorhome on the breakwater there right. as we were discussing this. So, yeah. And your husband thought, good idea. Uh, he took a little convincing at first, yeah. uh, only for the fact that we weren't really ready to come back yet. Yes, yes. But, um, we probably had to come back as in, because if we if you don't come back, you never come back. And, so how um, did you support yourself for three years? Well, we we thought, because our dollar had gone so well, we had agreed that there, there was this amount of money and that's what we were going to spend. And we thought, based on previous trips we'd done to Europe, we were going to spend all of that money within mm. that said time frame. Mm. When we got there and realised that once you actually are in life, mm. It's no different than life expenses here. Yeah. So our money just went so much further. And then we had these amazing exchange rates yes. that our money just went so much further. Right. So we were living off our savings at the time. Right, right. Yeah. So you got the job, you decided to come back. And what year yeah. was that, 2014? That, that was 2013, so late 2013. Right. So they really finished negotiating at the end of September. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, at the end of October. August, yeah. beginning of September, I was on a flight um, back from Europe. Mm. I had to leave my husband there because mm. he had to sell the motorhome and mm. close all our bank accounts yeah. and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And he eventually joined me in November 2013 and the flight started um, in November 2013. Right, right. Yeah. And so you, you arrived in Darwin. Mm -hmm. what, was your, what were your impressions? Um, loved it because mm. we had just come from being on the beach and living an open or an outdoor lifestyle. And that's the one thing that Darwin does is everybody's out and about, you know, you meet up for drinks, you go for dinner, and it's generally an outdoor venue. Yeah. So it was it was warm, so we loved it. It had a really great impression with Dar from with Darwin from the very beginning. Right, right. Yeah. And how was work? Like, what was that like? The job really hard. <laughs> I, I would actually have to. I would actually have to say it was. It's probably one of the hardest things I've done. Mm. One, we were establishing a business, um, which was an established brand, yes. but the rep there had been a little bit of reputation damage or yeah. brand damage from previous, you know, from departing from the market reason, yeah. 10 years earlier. And we had um, two offices to open. I was here, um, and from the moment that my feet were on the ground, 
to six weeks later, our flights were departing, so we're right. launching. So we had six weeks to, well, I had six weeks because um, they were waiting for me to arrive. I'd left everything until I was actually had my feet on the ground. Yeah. But we had to hire, hire staff, open, you know, open set up um, two offices, get them operational, hire, uh, train new staff. When you say two offices, where, where? So one in the city. We yeah. were we had an office in the city, and we also had the airport office as well. Oh, of course. So there are theoretically yeah. two locations yeah. that need two, you know, two administrations, two lots of infrastructure with your, yeah. you know, your IT equipment and your cabling and yeah. everything like that. And I learned very quickly how long things can take in Darwin because of the remote <laughs> location. So I underestimated getting an internet connection. Right. We had internet two days before our flights right. launched. So it was just that sort of thing. Um, and I must admit, I learned very quickly about Darwin Networks and mm. how to, that if you need something done, ring up someone and go, hey, I've got this issue. We can't resolve it. Do you know someone who can help me? Mm. It's amazing who you then get a phone call from. Right. So, yeah, so that was really... That was really cool. That was a really, but it was really hard not basically getting the brain to work. I remember reading operational manuals and, you know, it's, it's such, you know, it's heavily, it's a heavily um, regulated industry. Mm. So I remember meeting manuals and, and um, things that are required, you know, basically things that are required for us to be compliant mm. and thinking these are words on a page. None of it was sinking in. Mm. So I had lost <laughs> the brain power after not working for three years. So... <laughs> Yeah, so that was really interesting. And then it's really funny, sort of six months later, I then remember reading things going, oh, you know, I remember reading this six months ago and having no idea what it said. It was just literally me reading words on a page. So, yeah, so that was definitely really interesting. It was a baptism of fire back into the workforce, I can yes, tell you. Yeah. And after three years, your brain does clock off. Right. So my hat goes off to mothers and fathers who have got children that they're now trying to raise and, you know, you know, uh, and then go back into the workforce. Really yeah. difficult. I mean, uh, they've got so much going on. I just don't know how they do it. But, yeah, it's amazing. Well, Pete has lots of questions about that. He was very keen when I told him that you were coming on the podcast. Yeah. Because Pete's, uh, you know, very close to the whole tourism, travel yes. and Darwin uh, experience. Yeah. So the floor's yours, buddy. <laughs> yeah, look, <coughs> I, I, thank, thanks for the entree there, Leon. Um, I suppose um, one of the things that I wanted to know when Leon initially told me we would be talking with you, Rose, was in relation to where you worked for Malaysian Airlines before or during their, you know, major issues that occurred um, a few years ago. Were you still there with them when MH370 went missing, for example? I was, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that so was definitely a time in the, in the history, which, which you know, it was definitely very hard to run a business during that time. Yeah. So how did that change your work life, real life? Like you woke up to that and, and what happened? Um, I think, I mean, I guess it's a little bit like anyone who has to deal with a really difficult situation within their workplace or their family life or their um, um, personal life. So you really just have to, you know, look at the look at look at it in reality of what the situation is, what you can what you can control, which is generally the way that you actually then deal with people or support people, 
and um, and really probably just breaking it down like that. I mean, obviously, when you look at the situation holistically, I mean, 2014 was a shocking year, and obviously, I can't speak on behalf of I'm not permitted to speak on behalf of Malaysia Airlines over that. However, from a from a person working within a business that has had to deal with um, twin tragedies like that, um, it's the only way you can do you the only way you can get through it is to actually knuckle down, keep doing the job that you're employed to do, which is to represent the brand, make sure that, you know, for me as a manager, the staff were okay, they were well supported. We were able to give people contact details to the right um, people when it was required and really just continue doing what we had to keep doing. And what year was that? It was 2014. My God, so it was basically not even 12 months. Six months. So it was, um, yeah, it was actually, the first one was actually four months after we'd launched our flights here in Darwin. So we'd been Gosh. flying for four months. Um, I'd been back with the company for six months, but the flights yeah. had been back here in the Territory for four months. Yeah. So was there was anybody definitely... In... Mm. Sorry. Uh, was there anybody in Darwin or the Northern Territory directly affected by that? Uh, from... Um, a passenger, from people on board, do you mean, or people within the business community or here in the Territory in general? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, initially, um, you know, people in the Territory with relatives or or friends or what have you actually on, on either of those flights? Um, there was, however, it's probably, mm -hmm. it's probably not something that I would want to necessarily disclose without having oh, their approval beforehand yes yeah yeah of course we don't want to know names but it just yeah. goes to show uh you know how close to home it was um yeah absolutely i, I, I think there's definitely most i i think it's unfortunate that every state and territory was affected some way um mm -hmm. so yeah the the impact i guess for australians was definitely widespread Mm. Yeah, well, I, I flew to Singapore the week after. Well, in fact, it wasn't the week after. It was a couple of days after that happened. Mm. And, uh, sorry, MH370 happened. And I sat in my hotel room whenever I was there, just glued to CNN, hoping and praying that they would, you know, discover what had happened and, and what have you. But, of course, um, that's that's still ongoing to a point. Yeah, um, that's so, right. So what happened? the business after that rose because i know you could get business class flights with malaysian airlines for next to nothing what <laughs> what happened what happened from your point of view to the business in darwin after that happened and after the the, the second flight had its yeah. mishap yeah well it was certainly um the Darwin community is actually really supportive. Mm. I think, you know, in 2013, when when Malaysia Airlines started flying here again, there was actually a real need in the market. Mm. People were really after... Um, alternatives. Yeah, mm. they were. They were after an alternative. We were after some competition. Mm. We only had one international carrier. So it was really a positive thing for the Territory. And I'm, I must say that um, whilst, you know, there's definitely a direct hit with you know, your bookings that are coming in and people that are on those first flights going out, they're obviously really, you know, um, um, you, um, had been affected by it. So, to, you know, business was definitely affected, but the rebound for us was actually quite amazing because the actual community really got supported behind us and really um, 
really didn't want the flight, could actually see the value that we were actually offering to the mm. territory mm. and really wanted mm. to support it to make sure it stayed around. Yeah. So without a shadow of a doubt, um, MH17 was just, uh, you know, incomprehensible mm. that could mm. even happen and, and that's a different story. Mm. But um, even still, you know, the, the Darwin, in Darwin and Northern Territory, um, um population was really very supportive and I, I you know and it actually really goes a lot to say about our resilience here as as um territorians the fact that you know we do tend to band together through times like that when business is tough everyone knuckles down when someone's going through something difficult people are really trying to be supportive mm. and collaborative as well mm. so yeah so um it was definitely interesting times i must say it's probably not an experience i'd like to go through <laughs> again no. uh so but um definitely interesting times and um and a lot it certainly was very character building <laughs> yeah yeah i, I um i'm just trying to think because they happened quite close together, but then you mm. were still with Malaysian Airlines for quite a while after. I that, was well. I I ended up um, after the first event. They extended my contract for six months. Um, then six months later, um, unfortunately, there was another incident. Mm. They extended my contract again for mm. another six months. Mm. After that, it was um, pretty clear that um, potentially, was, you know, it was irreversible, yeah. you know, with the, with the impact mm. on the business. Mm. So I decided to move to another opportunity mm. when it became, when it came, um, came, when the opportunity presented itself, I, I was, then didn't want to leave Darwin. Yes. So yeah. um, I needed to look for work and within the aviation industry, it's a really tight knit um community anyway and the jobs are very tight mm. so um an opportunity came to move to one of our um large national carriers so that's what i did and that was virgin and that was with virgin australia so i joined virgin australia in 2015 it's so about may 2015 okay yeah okay. and then yeah. you were there for quite a while right yes up until just recently right. so i i have just now um, fully left the aviation industry altogether in January, um, which is actually really nice. Um, the reason I say that is not for any other reason apart from that I've got a different subject matter. I've been in aviation for nearly 25 years mm. of my career, and um, pretty much as a as a as an early 20 year old, I started um, working in aviation. So it's really nice to actually be, have a slightly different subject matter. Right. Yeah, but that a lot of that has come about also from being in the territory and trying to establish a business and mm. actually building up that skill set. I've actually then sort of fallen in love with a with another line of work, mm. which has then allowed me to um, gain the skills and the desire and the ability um, to start my own business. So we'll talk about mm. that in a sec, but just in relation to Virgin and, and Malaysia Airlines, you know, I mean, for Territorians, as you well know, uh, the topic of aviation is very mm. close to, yeah. to everyone's hearts, you know yeah. what I mean? And, uh, you know, we've seen airlines come, we've seen airlines go, we've seen mm. competition, we've seen no competition, yeah. we've seen new routes, then we've seen routes taken away. Mm. Uh, it just, it, we just feel like we get shook up a lot more mm. than the southern states. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I, I do, and I think it's really, it's, it's a really reactive situation. So, and it, and now being a territorian, and 
I really hate to see, even when I was working for an airline, I really hated to see other airlines go because you know what impact it's going to have. You know then that you lose competition. And and it's something that we know that the government and, you know, a lot of businesses are really trying to ensure that we have is that we do have that competition and we do have, um, you know, services and businesses, regardless of any industry, well supported so that we're all getting a fair go. Mm. As in, as a resident, we've got options and we've... So, um, yeah, it, it, it is, but it is, we do feel the impacts. And I, I think that the reason being is we have, um, we're so reliant on people coming or going from the territory as an integral part of our business or to, you know, to stimulate our economy or to inject or be a part of our economy. And I think, you know, for for a large organisation, you reduce the you reduce the service by one, mm. that for them they don't understand the impact because it's one out of many mm. or if you're on the east coast to reduce a melbourne to sydney flight by mm. one it means nothing mm. so when you've actually but then when you're actually taking away and you and you remind them that the percentage of what they're actually doing imagine if they lost 25 percent of their you know um services on the east coast that'll be up in arms mm. well theoretically your one flight is taking away 25 percent of the services out of the territory so um yeah, so I, I, it takes a while, but I, I guess um, the good thing about it is by actually um, being the squeaky wheel um, for the Territory on a number of occasions, you know, the, the message um, certainly did um, um, get through every now and then. Um, so Did you have to deal with government a lot in terms of routes and things? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we obviously there's a team that... Um, does work with, uh, on that. Um, we, there's, um, we have route management teams and um, um, and network teams that actually work with um, the government. But myself, yes, as the representative on the ground and as the manager on the ground, certainly has a say and can have some persuasion as to what I think might actually work as well. And so did you have much to do with Virgin starting their seasonal routes to Bali? Yes, I yeah. did actually. Yeah, which was yeah, which was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And um a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so how did that come about? Uh, that had actually been something. I mean, obviously, when it, whenever the Territory gets new services, there's obviously a number of stakeholders that are involved, from airport to government to, um, you know, an airline to also potentially, you know, other parties as well. So there's a lot of stakeholders. So the conversation starts generally um, quite a few, potentially quite a few years beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so, where you know, generally the, the seed is planted by um, potentially either the um, the government or um, airport authorities, and then the relationships or the conversations develop after that. There's obviously business cases and and so forth that are done. And they look at the viability of it, um, the aircraft that might be utilised, operating certificate that might be utilised, and. I guess when it gets to a point where where the sun and the moon and the stars align, mm. there's an opportunity to hit go. And by that, it's got to align, obviously, with, um, you know, slots at, you know, to and from um, both airports. It's got to align with what's happening within, you know, the two destinations. It's got to align within policy here as well as, you know, policy in, say, Indonesia. It's got to align with also, you know, what the, the bigger goals are of a commercial aviation mm. um, company as well. Because those, those particular routes were 
uh, that Virgin flew were quite popular because mainly mm. because of the time. Ah, oh, the time for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to what was available with Jetstar, yeah. which is sort of middle of the night, I think, yeah. uh, sort of red eye at least yeah. uh, for yeah. one, one part of it at least. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, they, they were really well supported, and um, it was yeah, it was again, it was great to have the competition back in the territory for that route again. Right. Yeah. And is that still going, or has that been? Uh, it was a seasonal service. It's suspended now. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the company's pl um, plans are. Let's hope they bring it back. I'm, I'm not privy to the information anymore um, as of, um, you know, departing the business in January. But I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I believe from the departing that it's just suspended. Right. So let's hope. Let's <laughs> hope that, you know, we can um, lobby the government. And, and what about Alice Springs? Ones. Because Virgin started flying to yes. Alice Springs. That was on your watch? Yeah. Uh, actually, no. That was actually – I came in just as that started. Okay. So there was a lot of work um, that was done uh, with the um, with the, the person that was in the role before me um, to launch those, along with the two lounges as well, a yeah. lounge in Darwin and a lounge in Alice Springs. Yeah. And they, um, and they, and you know, and that was, um, you know, a great opportunity as well to offer some um, competition on that route as well. Because the, the lounge in Alice, there's a Virgin Lounge in Alice Springs. There is, yes. Have you I, been down there? Have you, I, I have, you I have to say, I'm. <laughs> astounded to hear that because mm. of this reason mm. uh, I was in Tasmania in Hobart and there's no virgin lounge at all <laughs> did, did they you... don't have a squeaky wheel down there <laughs> well, there's a squeaky wheel in the territory mm -hmm. <laughs> so how does Alice Springs get a virgin lounge you know that's amazing yeah it's a, a lot of business cases a lot of lobbying and a lot of yeah, and a lot of promoting. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember flying out of uh, uh, out of uh, Hobart, and I think it might it must have been to Melbourne or something. And there's plenty of flights from yeah from you know. Australia. So look, it could really come down to also what's required in that market. So is there space there? What is the you know what is the what is happening already you know with the space within the airport within you know logistics is there a catering company that can support it so there's all of these things that come into play right. it's not you know it's not for the fact that someone can actually just go yes okay we want to open up a lounge down there now you've actually probably got about five five or six other um, significant operational um, stakeholders yeah. that actually, you know, and again, the sun and the moon and the stars do have yeah, to align, yeah. and it does help if you've got a squeaky wheel as well. Yeah, <laughs> well, we need more squeaky wheels because, you know, Virgin, I feel kind of, you know, ever since the, uh, Brisbane got the, the gig to, to, to be the headquarters, I, I've just seen Brisbane really sort of explode from an aviation perspective, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. They just had so many flights. I mean, when I, I, li when I lived in Brisbane in 1999, mm. There were no direct flights to the US. Yeah, right. You had to fly to yeah. Sydney and then yeah. go up or yeah. Auckland or something like that. Yeah. Now they're, they're yeah. talking about flying to Chicago yeah. from Brisbane. Yeah. You know? But they've got also, you know, quite a significant popula population growth there from, you know, yeah. southeast um, Queensland right through to the Sunshine Coast now. So I guess, you know, as as the, the demand, you know, uh, particularly, I mean, it's like any business, really, it's it's all on demand. So you go where the demand is, yeah. and if the demand is there, then it keeps growing. Yeah. Well, but it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, is, it is. And I, I just feel, Rose, that, you know, we just, we sort of seem to have missed something in the last 30-odd years. Because when I first came to Australia, oh, sorry, when I first came to Darwin, I should say, um, we had... Royal Brunei flying, I don't know, five times a week or something, mm. you know, mm. uh, and it was a bit of a, 
a painful exercise because you had to fly through Brunei to get to Singapore or to get to Malaysia or wherever <laughs> you wanted to go. Um, but, you know, we did it. And Royal Brunei was very, very good to, to mm. Darwin. Mm. And then, you know, a few years later, Malaysian Airlines started. Mm. Uh, I think Singapore Airlines may have been there the whole time through. But I remember at one point in time, we had um, a, an Airbus A330 Malaysian mm. Airlines flying from KL to Darwin and then on to Adelaide, right? Mm. Uh, we had a 747 Singapore Airlines flying from Singapore to Darwin to Brisbane. Mm. Mm. Uh, we had a Qantas 767 every day flying Singapore, Darwin, Adelaide. Mm. So, you, you know, we had it, – it's, it's a shame to say this, but we actually had a better – we had wide-bodied aircraft mm. 25 years ago, mm. and now mm. you don't get them at all. Yeah, I mean, it's just right. the 737s, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I kind of feel a little bit like, <laughs> you know, we're sort of missing out a bit, yeah, you know, being yeah. in Darwin. Oh, the good old days of travel and oh, aviation. You know, and then yeah. you've been watching Perth, for example, <laughs> uh, win the right to, to fly Qantas, you know, direct, non-stop to London. Mm. I was talking to someone the other day about that, and I was saying, you know what, I'm sure we could fly nonstop from Darwin to London because mm. I'm, I, and and I was, I might have been E and Q, um, and it was like, yeah, you could, mm. you mm. could fly Darwin mm. to London nonstop. Mm. It's mm. probably shorter yeah. than Perth to London, yeah, yeah, um, but not enough squeaky wheels. <laughs> That's all right. But yeah. uh, no, we're uh, we're a few. Uh, you know, we are aviation. Yeah. So I've got to tell yeah. you, we love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can yeah. tell you, it's been very easy to get to know the business community and actual the community in general. I think, and, and a lot of it has been around, you know, aviation as well. Because we now that I'm here, I get it. We're a population um, and a group of people that like to travel. And we like to travel a lot. We're used to it because of, you know, our geographical location. It's no issue for us to go, hey, yeah, we'll jump on a plane and we'll meet you down in Melbourne for a weekend. Yeah, try and get someone in Melbourne up here for a weekend. They're like, oh, no, we've got to take two weeks off to get there. So I, I get it now. And it's because we all travel so much and we, you know, we are either off to Bali a couple of times a year or off to Asia a couple of times a year because you either want to get away from the heat or, you you know, or the old migration over the Christmas, New Year break. And I now, like, it took me a little while to understand, like, why is everyone so interested in what's going on with the airlines? Mm-hmm. And now I get it because, but it's such an important part of our growth and our economy and the enablement of, you know, cargo and agriculture and all of that sort of thing, you know, being sent off overseas. So I get it now, yeah. which, which I didn't get at first. Well, but I mean, it's been a great way. It's been a really easy way to meet people because everyone wants to ask exactly you the questions. Exactly right. You're yeah. Me. yeah I, mean, I mean, it's the only capital city in Australia where you can fly one hour and you are in a completely different country. Yeah. yeah. Right? East Timor, yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. I thought it was only 45 minutes. It could be yeah. with, the, with, the, with the Embraers, maybe. Yeah. Because I did the propeller job coming back, so it felt yeah. like a long, longer, longer flight. But, and it's so different. I mean, yeah. the country is so different. Yeah. You know, compared yeah. to Australia. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that people actually realise how close we are to Asia. No, they don't. No, they don't. People are still shocked, aren't they, when you say, oh, well, yes, we can be in Bali in under two hours. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So you gave yeah. all of that up? Yes, yes. Why did you give it up? 
Um, I think the time was just right. It had been majority of my career. Mm. And I also, as we get a little bit older, Mm. we don't really like having to hand in a a leave slip to the boss and go, please, boss, can I go on some more leave and know that four weeks that, you know, we get a year is not enough. So, um, yeah, it was actually just more out of a desire to be my own boss and and actually do something for myself. As I said, I'd really missed um, and always regret that I never went to uni or furthered my education. Um, so it's never too late, Rose. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, and it's not something that will ever, it will never not be off the books, but I've over the last couple of years really challenged myself, really learned a lot, really um, been able to succeed in a few things that I never thought that I would even be able to succeed in. And then I thought, well, why not give it a go? You never know unless you give it a try, hey? So, so you gotta... what are you doing? So now I have my own uh, digital marketing business. So, yeah, here. Right. So you're competing with Pete because he's a digital marketer uh, as well. <laughs> not really. There's, there's too many businesses that are out there to even worry about that. Yeah. That yeah. And so what do you do? Um, so mainly, actually, I do all forms of marketing. So a lot of that came from being involved in also a sales and marketing aspect. Um, of Virgin Australia as well as Malaysia Airlines and um, working uh, and actually probably going back I did sort of forget to say that I've got family in business, um, family that were jewellers and bullion dealers. So for many years had always um, uh, uh, I guess consulted and worked with them on their um, marketing and finally um, decided that it was probably you know, a good opportunity or I should, if I'm really serious about this, I should actually start formalising a little bit, which is what I started to do um, a little while ago is just look at, you know, what that might look like. So a lot of, um, so whilst, you know, digital marketing is a, is a huge part of virtually any business's need right now, I also um, look at also the other marketing that's actually going on within their business um, and just to see if there is actually a strategy in place, does it align with the business plan, do they understand how a marketing plan should support a business plan and also um, what, um, you know, putting marketing and doing one form of marketing isn't necessarily a strategy. It, it, it's generally tactical or campaign driven and just making sure that um, they understand the difference of what they're doing. And then I work with them to see how it can be, you know, a good plan can be integrated into their business that is going to reach the objectives and goals. So a lot of that in the digital space will be around, um, you know, websites, SEO, um online ads so facebook and google ads um, as well as you know email marketing as well and uh, from the traditional side it's you know looking at their other uh, you know brand assets also looking at um um, you know their external advertising that they might have or want to do with the tv radio and ensuring that um you know that aligns obviously with the rest of their company objectives as well so yeah that's been and i think you know in the territory it's it's seen it's going to be a tough year or it could be a tough couple of years and I, businesses are actually starting to really think about this now which is really good mm. and um, it's been really well received so far. Mm. Mm. Hey, you got any comments on that? Yeah, I guess um, I, I'm interested to know the transition from um, you know big business, yeah, aviation, but big business in in Malaysian Airlines and and Virgin to uh, I'm imagining is working with um, predominantly SMEs. Um, Mm. How have you found that transition and did you learn some of those skills in the big business and bring them with you to what you're doing now? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, so. The transition's been really easy. I I've actually really enjoyed small business. It's a lot more agile. It's a lot more tactile. It's the sort of thing you know. Small businesses, you you have to get in there, roll your sleeves up, become part of the team, really you know get a bit dirty and understand what it is that you know makes their business successful or they need their business you know what what they need for their business to be successful whereas in big business you really are it can be quite it's driven from the top it can be quite vanilla at times or you're just given you know this concept and you have to run with it and you can't have any input so I actually really enjoy the small business um you know working with small businesses it's and the reason being is that we can actually do something or work with them in a way that actually you can see that it makes a tangible difference. Mm. You can see mm. that by implementing this or doing this, this is our result. And, um, you know, and it's a lot more measurable. It, it, it's a lot more measurable. When it comes to big business, you know, often big business and particularly in, you know, in, in the aviation space and commercial aviation space, a lot of that is all, you know, um, tactical campaign driven so they go out with an airfare sale and yeah sure you get the bums on the seats and you know you get really good it's just a way of them actually hitting the market and getting some revenue it doesn't work that way for small business you can't go out with a big sale and expect everyone's going to actually care and mm. want to convert unless you've got a really tangible product that is required but um so generally you know getting back to the grassroots understanding who their customer is how to engage with them um, a lot better but also understanding how relevant the relevance of your product or service to what your potential customer might be mm. so um, it's really good I, I enjoy that because then when you actually I mean you would then know as a as a, a marketer yourself you know when the lights go on and then someone actually goes oh I never thought about doing that and then they implement yeah. in their business and they get the result you're like fantastic like this yeah. is actually you know this is where um, marketing can work really well yeah so I really enjoyed it, it was actually a really easy it was an easy, um, it was an easy shift, and um, coming from a family in small business, it wasn't a space that I was um, not used to either. Mm, mm. Yeah. You, 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 go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, hit the nail on the head. I mean, the the thing that I enjoy is exactly what you described: is that mm. small business is agile and it's nimble, mm. and you can you can make decisions today that can start kicking in tomorrow if you get it right and you know what you're doing. Whereas I've worked with some of the monoliths and um, you know I, I won't name names because I don't want to embarrass those that can't defend themselves. But I remember um, my last year at a at a very large marketing firm in both the print and digital space without naming names. Um, I remember getting my budget and looking at it and going, so how does a business remain profitable when my budget this year is 98% of what it was last year? So you're, yeah. you're <laughs> actually volunteering to make a loss, but because you're such a big business, that's acceptable to you. It just doesn't make sense. Small business, if there's not enough dollars going in, you can't bring those dollars out. Mm, that's right. And CapEx is just as important as OpEx for small businesses, whereas in a big business, oh, we can't do that, but we could maybe put that into operational expenditure. Or if we <laughs> had less in capital expenditure, yeah. we maybe could get... 
it's like well it's, it's all expenditure to a small business yeah. so it's always got to have a result and it's always got to be you know have, right. have a good outcome yeah and so you, Darwin's home for you now? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. So after six and a half years, I have to say for years and years and years, we were always going to be going. In six months' time, we're going to be going. It was always, it's always been a six-month place for us. Mm. Um, but um, now, yeah, I wouldn't live anywhere else in Australia. We've still, oh, I think, I, I think once you're actually here in the Territory, you you can go from the territory, but the territory never leaves you. I think so. It's one of those places that you keep coming back. You feel instantly at home. You, you know, the weather's great. The, the traffic's great. It's, you know, it, it is a great place to do business. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's that whole genuine package that you get and that lifestyle that you get which makes the territory really appealing and for us is absolutely home we are going to be traveling a lot and we've got a bit of travel coming up this year um but um yeah it will always it will always be home where are you heading off uh well i've actually um running in the paris marathon on the 5th of april gosh so yeah sounds long it it is a long it's 42 (laughs) it's a marathon leon <laughs> it's a marathon, man. Of course, it's long. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's on the fifth of April, and then of course it's summer in um, Europe, and so we, hang so we will be staying for summer in Europe, and we'll come back towards um, the. We actually really like the wet season here better than the dry season, so mm. we'll be back probably at well, yeah. The aim is to be back at, at the wet. But the great thing about actually having a business here, I've got um, some people that I work with really closely here in the Territory that um, um, do some work with me. I've also got someone, I've got a part-time staff member in Adelaide because we've also got some clients in Adelaide. And um, the great thing about running your own business is that if you are overseas and, you know, you can you can do it, you know, as you know, Pete, you can do it from a laptop or you can be on the road and, um, there's yeah. always Skype, there's always WhatsApp, there's always Zoom now. I mean, who doesn't love a Zoom meeting? I'm sure everyone's Zoomed within an inch of their life these days. So, yeah. Somebody invited me to a Zoom meeting the other day. I must – have I been on one yet? Pete, have you maybe gone to Zoom yet? No, we, we use, we've used other technology, but, it's, yeah. you know, video yeah. video meeting is the best. Yeah, yeah. So, there's, so you're never too far away from a video meeting somewhere in the world, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, well, the, the, the only thing to get right, and I was in California two years ago doing exactly this, is you just got to make sure you get your time zones right yeah. when, <laughs> you, when you do your Facebook posts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rose, uh, thanks very much for coming in and sharing Thank your story. You. I uh, really appreciate it. And I also yeah. have to thank you for uh, introducing me to uh, uh, Melissa Gray. Oh, Melanie Gray. Melanie, sorry. Yes, Melanie, yeah. Melanie, yes. Our, um, our, yeah, very up and coming. Songster. Uh, yeah, songster, yeah, yeah. I, so you'll enjoy talking to her. Well, I did speak with her last week and we'll, we will have her on the podcast. Yeah. I hadn't heard of her, but it seems like everybody else in Darwin has. Yeah. Um, oh, where have you been under a I rock, I must Leon? have been under a rock because, uh, because the first thing I did was I Googled her name yeah. and then she came up and then I went to YouTube and yeah. – and, First five seconds of listening to her song, yeah. I thought, "Wow, yeah, she's, she's from Darwin." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
She's doing really well. She's really making some amazing um, waves in the country music industry. Yeah. She's just come back from Tamworth and, you know, she's just got some amazing um, stories to tell. But also, you know, you've you've been onto her YouTube channel now yeah. and you've seen some of her songs and the amazing imagery of the Territory and what she sings about here yeah. in the Territory. In actual fact, we had her for our for the Virgin Australia Bali launch because we wanted a, we wanted a territory element yeah. and didn't want it to all be about Bali. It's about bringing people into the territory as much as it is for us, you know, being able to go to Bali. Yeah. And she sang at the Virgin Australia launch. Wow. And we actually had some um, people from our head office here and they were um, really delighted in her. So, there's a, you know, hopefully there's a bit of follow-up going on from that as well for some potential work within Virgin Australia events. But, um, yeah, She's, she's very talented and she's just got some really great things um, and a really great um, a really great um, experiences and career and life from the Territory. I think you'll find her interesting. Great. Well, thank you. Rose, thanks very much for coming on. Um, and thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.